I'm Enrique Cerna, and welcome to Conversations. What those people should know is that the president's laid out a list of priorities. And the priorities are focused on making sure that people who can do harm or have done harm and have a criminal record are the focus. That's White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer talking about DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, an executive order issued in 2012 by President Barack Obama. It gives protection to young, undocumented immigrants, known as dreamers, unknowingly brought here by their parents. Spicer was asked at a White House press conference, what is the Trump administration's message to those who are here under DACA, especially since President Trump has said that he wants to immediately end what he calls illegal amnesty? Spicer's comments indicates that the administration is backing off its pledge of immediate immigration change. Still, there are many questions about the Trump administration's intentions about immigration, about what it will do in regards to the 11 million undocumented living in the U.S., and Trump's pledge to build a wall at the border that would be paid by Mexico. In immigrant communities, there is still much fear. Jorge Baron knows about that concern. He is the executive director of the Northwest Immigrant Rights Project and joins me to talk about immigration and Trump administration policy as we know it or don't know it at this time. Jorge, welcome. Good to have you here. Thank you very much, Enrique. So I take it that uh, as we talk right now, what you heard at this press conference from Sean Spicer, and it does change kind of daily, uh, is a bit of good news. Well, it is. In fact, uh, I think uh, when uh, the first day of office on Monday, with uh, we were all waking up uh, ready for this, uh, you know, potential big announcement that was going to cause a lot of consternation, and and then it's been this uh, wait to see if there's anything definitive, and uh, you know, certainly the statement that uh, Sean Spicer g- gave. Um, you know, indicated at least that they were going to move forward immediately, which is uh, the initial concern. So it is a bit of uh, relative good news, uh, but it still wasn't really clear. Uh, he didn't really say, you know, we're going to keep DACA in place. Um, and so a lot of people are questioning, are asking the question now: of What do we do? Do we do we continue to move forward, or uh, you know, what's what, what's going to happen? What are you telling people that are? calling your office probably daily and have been so for quite a while now. Well, I think what we've been telling people has been, uh, you know, in this these days to wait uh, for at least a few days to see if we have any more clarity. Um, we have been telling people that people who are ready in the program, um, who, uh, you know, are, are waiting to renew their work permits, whose work permits are, are expiring, um, that they should continue trying to renew them, understanding that they might end up losing their uh, their application fee if, if the program was canceled. Uh, but the risk for those people is less because the government already has their information. Uh, I think the, the calculation is different for the people who have never applied for the program because the government uh, doesn't know they're here, and so they would be outing themselves. And for those people, we continue to tell them to to wait to see uh, if we get information that's more concrete. Let's talk about what DACA is. I mentioned that it was established under executive order, but t- tell me the process of applying and getting accepted. Sure. And, you know, essentially what President Obama said with uh, with the executive order in 2012 was basically, you know, we're, we know these people are here, you know, they're going to come forward. 
uh, we're going to make a decision that we're not going to prioritize them for for deportation. Uh, but in addition to that, and as a practical matter, probably the most important thing that people get is is a work permit, so they are able to work here legally. Um, and that you know we've seen with uh, you know thousands of people that we've been able to assist over the last you know four and a half years has been you know a tremendous benefit because um, um, many of these uh, uh, young people have been here. Uh, but couldn't get, you know, a, a regular job. They might have a job kind of uh, under the table, um, uh, but uh, it really limited their potential. Um, and having that work authorization and also sort of removing that threat that had been hanging over them about the fact that they could be deported any time, um, I feel like has really opened the doors for them to uh, to make a contribution even more than they were before. Um, and really a, even an incentive to pursue uh, for, for their education and, and for their opportunities. Um, you know, so we see people now who have DACA who are, you know, uh, uh, lawyers, who are professionals, who are doing other type of work. And um, and I think the fear that, you know, of course, many people have had is, is whether this was going to be taken away. Is there an age range of the young people that we're talking about? Yeah, so the the minimum age that people had to be to apply was 15. So we saw people right at the, as they turned 15, they would come forward and say, you know, I want to apply. Usually their parents would bring them in saying that they wanted to pursue this. And then the program was capped at, um, you had to have been under the age of 31 in 2012. Uh, but that that's, stays as of that date. And so there's people now who are in their late, uh, early 30s, mid 30s now, who actually applied for the program back then and, and are still um, uh, covered by DACA. And what are you telling those that they say, I'd like to apply, but I just don't know what to do? I mean, do you just tell them, hold on? Yeah, I think for the people that have not applied before, and we did have actually right before, right after the election, we did a lot of community education events, and I had a number of people who came to me and said, uh, you know, I, I haven't applied for the program, I've been holding off, or, or I had a mother who had basically told her son not to apply. And, uh, and now they, they were worried that the window was closing. And unfortunately, by the time the election um, happened and, and in December, when a lot of people came forward, uh, we had to tell them, you know, it may be too late by this point because we weren't sure that their applications were going to be um, a process in time before the uh, Obama administration ended. So we did tell people to hold off if they were initial applicants. And, you know, we're still waiting to, again, get more clarity about to about whether the program is going to continue. And if so, then, you know, there may be another surge of applicants in the coming months. And a cost, it's about four or $500? To- it, 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 it went up a little bit. It's $485 now. And you have to be vetted actually through Homeland Security. Yes. So one of the requirements is that once you submit an application, you get a notice to come to the immigration office, which is, of course, a little bit scary for somebody who's been undocumented. You have to submit your fingerprints. And then once you submit your fingerprints and they go through a a full background check uh, to identify whether you have any any criminal convictions or any uh, things that are going to disqualify you from the program. So there is a a, a, a vetting process uh, to uh, to uh, uh, apply for the program. So as they say that we're going to put our priority on, on focusing uh, those people that are causing harm or are have a criminal background in this country, um, I guess, what does that mean? I mean, who are they looking for then? 
Well, unfortunately, I think what we've seen is that it, it, you know, and we've seen this with even under President Obama because that was also his focus. So in some ways, uh, one question that people had after yesterday's uh, uh, press conference was, uh, is how is this different, right? Um, and uh, I, I think the, the challenge is that, you know, people with criminal convictions can be a full range of people. And we've actually seen that some of the people who have been most targeted have been people who have actually been here as a permanent residence legally in the United States and who've been uh, uh, subject to a certain uh, criminal conviction, sometimes relatively minor things, uh, that subject people to uh, to deportation. So I I've personally have represented this uh, woman from the Philippines who'd been in the country for 30 years as a permanent resident, you know, came here legally and, and had been a permanent resident, but had never applied for citizenship. She had U.S. citizen children and grandchildren. And then, you know, she was convicted of a, of a um, possession. It was actually attempted possession of uh, drugs. Um, and it was, you know, I, I think it was a misunderstanding, but her lawyer told her to plead guilty because, you know, it wouldn't mean any jail time or anything. She would just get probation. And um, and she did, and that made her deportable. And uh, and you know people don't you know people have this image of uh, you know that uh, when people talk about deporting people with criminal convictions, uh, people who are a real threat to the community. But it's it's usually not. That's not the category of people that we actually see uh, who are subject to deportation in these proceedings. So the so the net is pretty pretty far and wide, um, and it uh, covers a lot of people who have you know maybe convictions from many, many years ago um, and who are, you know, contributing and fully um, have families here, but all of a sudden are, are pulled away because of that uh, that uh, mistake they committed a long time ago. So there's no clarity there as to what just the level of crime we're talking about here and right. what might be considered someone who is a danger or a threat. And, and during the transition, we heard that, you know, it was going to be anybody who was arrested, right? So, um, which poses other problems. And of course, because uh, we get concerned about, uh, in certainly some areas, we've seen, you know, local law enforcement be very eager to uh, stop people or detain people uh, simply because they think they're going to trigger immigration enforcement by by stopping them. And, and so there's been some, there was some move uh, pushback against that during the Obama administration, but it's certainly some of the rhetoric that we heard during the, the transition period and obviously during the campaign made us very concerned that this was going to be uh, the direction that things were going and, and still very concerned that that's uh, what uh, um, you know the, the new president is going to try to do is to use local law enforcement as a, as a tool of immigration enforcement. What are you telling people that, uh, I mean, there is this fear out there right now, I think, that, that people have and they, they're not really sure what to do. But on the other hand, you also have Americans that are saying that, hey, you're not here legally, you don't have documentation, it's the law. Well, and the interesting thing is that when I talk to people, and I certainly go to different parts of the state where people have you know very different opinions and on the immigration question, and it's interesting because sometimes I will I will talk to people who will you know take that that approach and will say uh, you know hey I, I disagree with you I think all those people should be deported except for this one person I know who lives down the street from me you know they're really hardworking you know the the dad is really you know doing everything right you know can is there anything I can do to help them and and I think part of the problem is that a lot of times the people who have that view 
don't actually know somebody who's undocumented or, 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 you know, they view it as like a mass problem. But if they view it individually the way that we get to because we're talking to individually to the families, I think the I think their feeling would be different. Uh, their feeling would be like, well, yes, you know, the, uh, they did something wrong. But but, the you know, what what's the penalty now? Are we going to really, you know, uproot their whole lives? Are we going to, you know, punish their children by depriving them of their parents? Um, I think that's part of the challenge is that a lot of times people are thinking about this in a in an almost abstract way, and when you actually get to talk to the families involved, to the parents involved about the reasons that they came here, uh, the fact that understanding that they they didn't have an opportunity to come here legally, most of the people that we're talking about, uh, that there wasn't this mythical line that people point to that people should be uh, getting into, um, you know, I think I think their their thinking would be different, um, and so for you know, I think part of it. For us, is educating the community about those realities that people experience, and then, of course, for the immigrant community uh, that we're that we're trying to serve, um, you know, it's it's a difficult time because, on the one hand, we don't want people to be panicked um, and and to you know try to uh, do something that's going to put them at greater risk. Uh, but at the same time, we also have to be honest with them about the fact that, you know, we do expect things to change for the worse and for there to be much more um, enforcement and things like workplace rates and other things uh, that are going to put them at risk and that they should be preparing themselves for. Seattle has said and the mayor has said that we will remain a uh, sanctuary city. Um, and uh, President Trump has said, or threatened anyway, that they would take away federal dollars, uh, although nobody knows really kind of what that means as well. And then recently, um, uh, on our inauguration day, the city held uh, an, uh, an effort to, to inform immigrants uh, and educate immigrants. I know that your organization was part of this as well. Um, tell me about that day, uh, how many people turned out and what people were asking. Well, so we had a, a very successful event. Um, we haven't gotten the final count from the city, but I understand that uh, over 1,200 community members showed up for the for the various parts of the event, which was wonderful. We had, uh, I know, over 750 volunteers, including a ton of immigration attorneys who were there uh, to help people in the community. And it was just a, a great event because I think people were feeling uh, like we want to do something positive. Um, not only sort of speaking out, but actually acting um, in a positive direction. We're able to help help over 100 people apply for U.S. citizenship. Uh, we did over 375 immigration consultations for people to answer questions. So it was just a great you know opportunity to bring together you know people from various uh, paths of life with with uh, immigrants and refugees and be able to uh, you know to tell them that they're welcome. Uh, I think one of the things that I've heard from a number of people, particularly undocumented people, that um, you know, they just felt after the election that they weren't wanted. Uh, and part of what I just wanted to make sure that people heard here in Seattle was that um, uh, that we want them, that we welcome them, that we recognize the value. Um, we recognize them as neighbors and, and as our uh, fellow uh, residents of the city. Uh, so it was a really great response and a great event. Um, and yes, we're, you know, we're concerned about, um, as I mentioned earlier, the, the impact that, that it might take for the new administration to try to get local jurisdictions to be involved in immigration enforcement. And, and I've been very proud of the mayor, uh, Murray, and others who've, uh, who've said you know, very clearly, uh, we're not going to do that. At the same time, I've also sort of cautioned you know, community members that you know, the fact that you know, Seattle 
uh, and other jurisdictions may be so-called sanctuaries um, in, in the sense that local ju- law enforcement is not going to use their own resources doesn't mean that they're protected from you know ICE showing up at their house or going to a workplace and detaining them. Um, so the idea of sanctuary is a little bit more limited than I think sometimes people realize. Uh, it's an important you know thing for the city to do, uh, but we also have to be cognizant of the limitations that that that, that has. What are you hearing from people about how this affects their lives? Well, I think it's just, you know, for a lot of people, it's kind of putting things on hold and the anxiety. I think the, the things that we've said that, uh, that we've heard has been um, most poignant has been uh, the fact that, uh, you know, you know, children are going to school expressing worries to their teachers and to others about the fact that their, you know, their parents may get deported. Um, and, and we even heard a lot of, uh, you know, uh, kids teasing others, right, particularly Latino kids about, uh, oh, now you're going to get deported because Trump is, has been elected president. And uh, that was just, you know, highly distressing. And the level of, uh, you know, harassment and bullying that, that, that we've seen uh, has been something that's been, you know, really concerning. And so I think a lot of people in the immigrant community are just in this, you know, heightened level of anxiety about what's going to happen. And again, because, you know, there's not a lot of clarity about exactly what's going to happen and when um, that I think has a lot of people living in edge right now. Uh, Senator Jeff Sessions looks like he's going to be the uh, attorney general. And he has been a hardliner on all of this. And um, are you concerned about how he might come in and have an impact with that agency and that office to then lead to a crackdown. Yes, we're very concerned about uh, Jeff Sessions as, as Attorney General because uh, the the Attorney General and the Department of Justice that he would lead has a lot uh, to do with the immigration system, particularly with the immigration court system. So he can he will control the entire agency that's in charge of the immigration court system and the and the administrative appeals uh, that go through the immigration court system. So he has the power to shape things in a direction that we're very concerned about, given his his record and his rhetoric in the time in the Senate uh, of of that direction. And then the other thing is that um, we are concerned about him using the Department of Justice as a tool to try to use the criminal prosecutions of people as a way to, you know, be even harsher on immigration enforcement. So there are some criminal provisions that uh, we've seen in in other cases, and we saw a little bit of this during the the Bush administration of, um, you know, Department of Justice uh, going after undocumented individuals on criminal charges. Uh, Some of these cases actually ended up, you know, losing when they went up to the Supreme Court, but just the threat of a criminal prosecution can can you know pressure people into into waving away their rights um, and and agreeing to be deported even if they have a, a defense to fight in their case just because the threat of possible jail time is is so intense. So so we're definitely concerned that that he's going to use that you know tremendous power that he's going to have in that position to uh, to make life even more difficult for for people in the community. Um, have you been heartened here uh, to hear, I think, uh, from people like Lindsey Graham, who is conservative from South Carolina, uh, really kind of warning not to go too far here, particularly for uh, those that are under DACA? Well, I, I, I am heartened that there's been some bipartisan support for uh, for the Dreamers and for others. But uh, but I think that, you know, we're, we're still disappointed that um, – 
you know, uh, despite the fact that there's been support for uh, reform proposals for, you know, since the Bush administration, frankly, um, uh, George W. Bush was a supporter of comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, we had we've had people in the in the Senate like uh, Senator McCain and uh, Senator Flake and Senator uh, Graham who have been, you know, pretty steadfast in their support. Um, and yet, you know, things haven't moved. Um, so I think that the question really is are we going to be about, you know, Republican leadership, about whether they're going to um, allow some of these bills uh, that, that would be, you know, proactive uh, and protective to move forward and to, um, you know, push away against uh, some of the some of the more extreme things that I think are going to be proposed. I'm not I'm not particularly hopeful of that. Um, but uh, but I think that uh, we need to continue to hold uh folks in Congress accountable for, for the things that they're going to be proposing. Do you feel there's a shift in the country, an ugly shift in a way, against immigrants? And um, there have been some incidents, obviously, that have happened locally uh, in mosques and elsewhere. Absolutely. I mean, I think that the uh, the election, I feel like, has given uh, a lot of some people who might have been uh, in the fringes before and have been uh, holding off on on being vocal about their views, uh, it has uh, uh, sent a message that that uh, certain type of views are now okay and acceptable. Uh, and I do find that very concerning because in many cases those those that, those kind of ideas have turned into action, into you know hateful acts and and hate crimes. And so you know I'm worried for the community, uh, for folks who are going to be the target of that kind of uh, abuse. Um, but I think it's also just uh, creating this you know very. Uh, bad situation where you know we don't you know recognize uh, people as as members of our community. I think one of the fundamental um, tenets of our democracy is that you know we're all created equal. Um, and so when we start espousing this view that you don't belong here, you're not part of our community, you know I think it tears away at the fabric of 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 what America is supposed to be at, and that's incredibly damaging and very very could lead us in a very very dangerous direction. So um, as you deal with this uncertainty, I guess, how do you work every day in this kind of environment? Because you, you really are put in a situation where it seems like it's a moving target. Well, I, I think ultimately for us, and particularly the work that we do in the in the legal arena, it's about defending people and protecting people. And I've had the opportunity to work as a as an attorney representing clients, and I still one of some one of my earliest clients was this young woman from from Guatemala who um, had been on the cusp of being deported and um, had was a single mother of this seven year old girl. And, um, you know, she did have money for an attorney. She was about to be deported and we ended up taking on her case and fighting very hard over a course of months while she was detained to uh, to get her out of detention. This was during the Bush administration. And um, and we won and, we're, you know, she's reunited with her family, with her daughter, and, and she's since remarried and, and is now doing well and is applying for to be a U.S. citizen. And uh, you know that's the kind of change. I mean, in some in some ways, it's all it's about individuals. I think it, we're talking about people here. When it, you know, we can talk about policies and things, but to me, it's about you know people uh, that are going to be impacted by this. And if we can push back on some of the worst abuses um, uh, and 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 change uh, and impact the lives of uh, individual families, uh, people who need protection, um, then I, I see that as 
work that's incredibly important. And despite the fact that there's certainly frustrations on the system that we operate in is incredibly unjust and we're often fighting, you know, probably the most powerful entity in the world, uh, the U.S. government, uh, we still think that it's important precisely because of that, of the imbalance of power uh, to push back and to use, you know, legal tools, the courts, federal courts if necessary, immigration courts, uh, to have those, uh, their rights respected. Uh, and the only way that um, frequently, people, as a practical matter, can fight in those in those contexts is through through legal representation. That's that's why we we uh, value the work that we that, that we do so much. Are you surprised by uh, this kind of pullback uh, with what was said at the press conference that you know we're it seems like we're saying we're we're not going to put the focus now on on those in DACA. We'll we'll, we'll wait on that. Um, do you think that might have been just all campaign rhetoric? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I hope that there's some of that, but I, I think the problem is that I think this administration is still trying to figure out who's in charge and they're still putting people in different uh, positions. And so I think that they, uh, my sense in talking to some people who um, who have had some contact with the transition team was that they, they were almost caught by surprise by the election results themselves. <laughs> and so that they, they weren't prepared for the fact that they were going to have to govern. And so some things they're still trying to figure out. Um, so I am concerned, and I think that's the thing that is concerning to me is the people who have been appointed um, to uh, some very powerful positions, people like Jeff Sessions. Uh, we just heard about the chief of staff for uh, Customs and Border Protection, who's a person who's worked for an organization that's been very anti-immigrant for a long time. Um, you know, those folks are going to be in positions where they're going to make decisions, and I have you know, I'm, I'm very concerned about the way that they're going to approach their, their jobs. Um, so I am not, uh, well, well, I'm in some ways it's, it's good that things are not moving in a bad direction right away. I am not, uh, right now, um, going to say that I'm, I'm hopeful that this is going to continue. I do think that some of these bad policies are going to start getting implemented, uh, once, uh, people are in the, in the positions that they're going to be appointed to. Um, the work that you do, it's not just based here in, in the Seattle area. Obviously, you go into central Washington. Um, is is there a different feeling over there, or, or uh, is it as about the same as it is here, uh, since you have uh, in many communities there that are largely Latino? I, I think it is different. Um, I mean, in, in, in being out there and talking to our staff that's working in Eastern Washington, it's been uh, clear that uh, there's a different level of concern. I mean, you know, we, we, we had this event here in Seattle. The city was uh, helping, and, and uh, there's been a message from the political leaders here in this region about uh, immigrants and a very positive and different message. And unfortunately, I think people in Eastern Washington are hearing something different. There's, there was, you know, clearly much more support for Trump in, in Eastern Washington. And so they, um, uh, folks in that community are particularly concerned about how this is going to play out and the role, for example, that local governments and local uh, law enforcement may play in trying to identify them. So I think that if there's anxiety on the west side of the mountains, uh, well, I would say really in the Seattle area, um, you know, it's even uh, more so in, in other parts of the state. Have you had any conversations with law enforcement over there, or have you reached out to uh, try to get a gauge on where they're coming from? Well, we've been talking. I mean, we have certainly reached out to uh, to folks, and you know, we've expressed kind of our concerns, and there's some conversations about that. I think that you know, uh, I think a lot of people are waiting to see exactly 
what the plans are of the new administration. Uh, but we are certainly, you know, continuing to emphasize the the, the fact that we th- that we think that having local law enforcement be involved in immigration enforcement actually ends up, you know, hurting all of us. Uh, it's not a question about protecting immigrant communities necessarily. It's about, uh, you know, people being able to uh, report things. Uh, one of the examples that I give is, you know, if uh, somebody's uh, breaking into your house and an undocumented person is walking by and they decide not to make that call and report it to 911 because they're worried about you know, uh, law enforcement reporting that person to immigration, you know, nothing bad happens to the undocumented person, but your house just got broken into and the next person's house is going to get broken into. And that's that's what we should be worried about. If we have a, a large segment of the community who's afraid to contact law enforcement, uh, that's that's actually something that's going to be damaging for everybody in the community. It can affect so many different areas from domestic violence to health issues, these types of things, if people aren't willing to respond because they're scared. Exactly. And and we've seen those situations frequently. We see certainly do it in the domestic violence context where people are afraid to uh, speak up and report that they're being abused. And, uh, and you know, the, the statistics uh, show that uh, people of color uh, and immigrants in particular end up in uh, much more violent situations, including homicide situations, uh, precisely because they never sought help at an earlier point, um, but the abuse just escalated to a point where they they suffer, you know, very serious consequences. Um, Before we close, sir, I got to get your comment on a wall. I mean, we don't know where where this is going to go, if there's going to be a wall, who's paying for a wall, if it's going to be a fence or what it's going to be. Well, I, I, you know, I think that the whole wall idea, and I think one of the things that you have to give uh, President Trump credit for is that you know he he understands symbols and he understands uh, messaging, and he used this rhetoric as a as a way to uh, to convince people that this was going to be uh, uh, effective. And of course, you know, even the border patrol agents uh, are are the first ones to say, you know, wall isn't doesn't really work, <laughs> um, uh, uh, certainly by itself, and you know, with a you know, ten dollar ladder, you can overcome uh, most obstacles. Um, so I think he used that, you know, just to get you know, as a rallying point. But the problem is that it's it reflects kind of this larger uh, problematic policy. Um, and I know I was in uh, New Mexico uh, after the election, and uh, I think that folks in the southern border are you know very concerned about what it's going to mean because they've seen examples of the the border essentially becoming kind of a military zone, and and um, and obviously, you know, I think they're particularly concerned given that it's a military officer that's been appointed as as head of Homeland Security. And so that the mentality of that agency is going to be even more uh, sort of this military uh, thinking. And um, I think that's a uh, p- you know, concern that people have, that uh, that it's not so much about the physical wall, even though that's just basically kind of a waste of resources, uh, but it's also just a symbolic thing of, of uh, you know, closing ourselves off and, um, and of, uh, you know, sending this message, you know, you're not wanted, um, but also affecting the local communities at the border. And of course, you know, our state is also a border state and we're concerned because we've seen the abuses that have happened with the uh, huge expansion of border patrol here that we saw in over the last uh, uh, two decades uh, that we've had a lot of problems here as well. So I am concerned about how this is going to play out even in Washington state. Jorge Baron. Well, we will uh, see as uh, things unfold here in the in the months ahead. We'll have some more conversations. Uh, everything just seems to be so fluid at this point, doesn't it? That's definitely true. All right. Jorge Baron, Executive Director for the Northwest Immigrant Rights Project. Thank you for your time. I'm Enrique Cerna. We'll talk more later. To hear more podcasts from KCTS 9 Digital Studios, 
visit kcts9.org slash podcasts.